Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Tuesday, June 2nd. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. President Trump threatens to unleash the military onto American cities to stop widespread demonstrations. Protests continue across the U.S., some turning violent, dozens of people and officers injured. And coronavirus warnings, new guidelines about staying safe as the coronavirus crisis continues. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. We begin today with an extraordinary threat from President Trump and a made-for-TV moment. The President of the United States vowing to send U.S. troops onto the streets of American cities if local officials cannot control protests in the wake of the death of George Floyd. This all happened after he used police to clear out peaceful protesters near the White House so he could stage a photo op outside a church. Janet Rodriguez joins me live from Washington, D.C. with the latest. Janet? Lorraine, the president went back to church today, not nearly as controversial of a visit as yesterday. Today, he went to St. John's II National Shrine here in Washington, a further away, little away from the White House. But this visit elicited a very strong message from the Archbishop of Washington, and I want to read you part of that. He says, I find it baffling and reprehensible that any Catholic facility would allow itself to be so misused and manipulated in a fashion that violates our religious principles. Now, many religious leaders are already criticizing not only this visit today, but obviously yesterday's incident. Here's the story. House. Protesters facing off against authorities, kneeling and raising their hands in a peaceful demonstration. But then, almost suddenly, U.S. Park and Secret Service police began shoving and hitting, striking this Australian news crew as they were live on the air. And as they moved in, they fired tear gas on the crowd. While inside the grounds of the White House, a remarkable split screen, the president claiming to be an ally of peaceful protesters. I am your president of law and order and an ally of all peaceful protesters. President Trump called on governors to deploy the National Guard, threatening to dispatch active duty U.S. military to American states if they don't crack down. But to do that, he would have to invoke the Insurrection Act of 1807, a rarely used law that hasn't been enacted since the Rodney King riots in the 1990s. If a city or state refuses to take the actions that are necessary to defend the life and property of their residents, then I will deploy the United States military and quickly solve the problem for them. And in Washington, D.C., where the president has jurisdiction, President Trump acting with force. As we speak, I am dispatching thousands and thousands of heavily armed soldiers, military personnel, and law enforcement officers to stop the rioting, looting, vandalism, assaults, and the wanton destruction of property. And then, in a made-for-reality TV primetime moment, the president and his entourage left the White House and walked through the park where protesters had been cleared moments earlier. He went to historic St. John's Episcopal Church, which had been burned in a fire during protests a night earlier. There, the president held up a Bible for the cameras. Is that your Bible? It's a Bible. 
standing in various poses for a full minute and a half. He then summoned his top aides to join him in the photo op. Okay, thank you very much. We have the greatest country in the world. Thank you very much, everybody. In Delaware, presumptive nominee Joe Biden paid a different visit to a place of worship meeting with community leaders at Bethel Lane Church in Wilmington. It's just hot. Don't go away. And when you have somebody in power who breathes oxygen to hate under the rocks, it comes out through the rocks. It followed a remarkable conference call earlier in the day where the president berated governors of both parties. And they're going to run over you. You're going to look like a bunch of jerks. You have to arrest people and you have to try people. And they have to go to jail for long periods of time. And earlier today, the president didn't make any comments at the National Shrine. And surprisingly, he has not commented either on social media about this religious controversy. Back to you. And last night, unrest once again across America. Protests rocking dozens of cities. Some protesters marching peacefully, others breaking curfew, getting arrested. This is around the country. We see officers uniting with demonstrators, some getting seriously injured trying to stop looters, and others getting fired for mishandling the riots. Overnight, protests from coast to coast for the seventh night. In Atlanta, a large crowd of protesters facing off with SWAT teams, pushing crowds back as curfew sets in. In Dallas, dozens arrested for breaking curfew. In St. Louis, a night of destruction, buildings on fire, four police officers shot during a face-off with a late-night crowd trying to storm police headquarters. Some coward fired shots at officers. And, and now we have four in the hospital, but thankfully, and, and thank God, Riots breaking out in Seattle after hours of peaceful protesting. The crowd trying to break through barricades, pushing through a police precinct, throwing rocks, bottles and fireworks at cops. In Las Vegas, an officer shot in the head right on the Vegas Strip near Circus Circus. Another shot downtown near the federal courthouse. The suspect has been identified in the last hour and was taken into custody by our SWAT officers and canine units. In Buffalo, New York, two officers were hit by a vehicle at the scene of a protest, leaving at least one of them in serious condition. Officials saying the driver was not deliberately targeting law enforcement. And in New York City, a disturbing video. Another police officer run over, seen flying on the impact when he tried to stop a robbery. He is now in serious condition. Thousands marched down the streets in a largely peaceful protest. The highest-ranking uniforms member of the NYPD taking a knee with those gathered in Washington Square Park. Let New York show the country how this is done. But looting attempts began later in the night as Governor Cuomo's newly announced 11 p.m. citywide curfew approached. Overnight in Louisville, the mother of David McCaddy, a barbecue owner shot dead by law enforcement, trying to enforce curfew during protests, speaking out. Will a mother lose a child? Pizza, you goes along right with that child. An investigation into the situation revealed the officers involved did not have their body cameras activated when the shooting occurred. The city's mayor lashing out. This type of institutional failure will not be tolerated. The chief of police has now been fired for his handling of the case.
In New York City, the curfew has been moved up from 8 p.m. instead of 11 p.m., and more than 700 people were arrested last night in that city alone. And we're learning six Atlanta police officers have been charged with using excessive force during an arrest involving two college students Saturday night. You may remember the dramatic video. Officers used a stun gun on both the male driver and a female passenger of the car. Five of the officers face aggravated assaults and other charges, and two of the officers were fired earlier this week. Twitter has flagged a second Republican politician's tweet for glorifying violence. The company applied the label Monday to a tweet by Representative Matt Gates of Florida. He called for the use to quote for the U.S. to quote hunt down members of Antifa like we do those in the Middle East, he wrote. When prominent politicians violate Twitter's policy, the company flags the message but does not delete it due to its public interest exception and said other users are able to are not able to like, reply or retweet it without comments. They can retweet if they add their own comments. Twitter applied the same warning to one of President Donald Trump's tweets last week. In Minnesota, officials now say they have no evidence that a tanker truck driver intentionally ran his vehicle into protesters over the weekend. We warn this video could be very disturbing to some. This truck driver plowed toward protesters on the I-35 West Bridge near Minneapolis. Sunday, the Department of Public Safety tweeted that the driver was, quote, inciting a crowd of peaceful protesters. Monday, the Public Safety Commissioner appeared to change his mind. He pointed out that the state was not finished putting up roadblocks when the truck was on the freeway. The driver was arrested and charged with assault. As of Monday night, he was still behind bars without bail. Now to the latest on the investigation into George Floyd's death. An independent autopsy commissioned by the family is now contradicting the official report. Rafael Rodriguez has the latest. Conflicting medical reports about George Floyd's final moments. The results from two autopsies find Floyd's death was a homicide, but they differ on what caused his death. The county medical examiner says Floyd died from a heart attack complicated by law enforcement subdual, restraint, and neck compression, adding Floyd had other significant conditions, fentanyl intoxication, and recent methamphetamine use. But experts hired by Floyd's family say he died of asphyxiation from sustained pressure. The handcuffs, his position seen in the video, and the weight on him all contributing to his death. The autopsy shows that Mr. Floyd had no underlying medical problem that caused or contributed to his death. Floyd's family now calling for the arrest of the three officers in the video of his death, in addition to Derek Chauvin, who's charged with murder. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison, who is taking over the prosecution, says he's taking a fresh look at the other officers who were on the scene. That we are looking very carefully at holding everybody accountable. In the meantime, anguish at the site where Floyd took his last breath. Floyd's grief-stricken brother Terrence addressing the crowd, demanding that the violence stop. Because that's not going to bring my brother back at all. Terrence saying the best way to force change is to vote. Not just vote for the president, vote for the preliminaries, vote for everybody. Educate yourself. Rafael Rodriguez, U News. 
Under President Trump, the Department of Justice has, for the most part, abandoned broad investigations into police misconduct. So far, during President Trump's three-year in office, the Department of Justice has only conducted one investigation, according to CNN. Meanwhile, 12 investigations were launched under George W. Bush's first term and 15 during Obama's. Joining me now to talk about this is Emily Gunston. She's a lawyer who helped lead several DOJ investigations of police departments during the Obama administration. Emily, what's the impact of abandoning these broad investigations into police departments? So one thing that I think it's really important for people to understand is the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice is really the only agency that can effectively bring lawsuits that result in institutional and systemic change within a police department. It's really difficult for private litigants to do that. Private litigants can bring lawsuits that can result in monetary relief, which is really important, but it's not the same as actually requiring police departments to change the way they interact with the people they're sworn to serve. The Department of Justice um, enforces a statute that allows them to seek what's called equitable relief, which is changes within a police department in response to a pattern or practice of constitutional or other federal law violations by a police agency. It's very difficult for private litigants to get that kind of change. So when the federal government is not bringing those lawsuits, is not enforcing the civil rights laws of our country, um, there really is not another check on these police departments. And it's I, I view it really as an abdication of the responsibility of the Department of Justice and our federal government to ensure that people's constitutional rights are protected. And Emily, the Department of Justice has announced a more limited investigation into George Floyd's murder. Why aren't they doing a sweeping investigation into the department? And should they? I believe that they should. I don't know why they are not. I'm not currently at the Department of Justice. Um, so what the Department of Justice has said that they might do is investigate the particular circumstances of, of George Floyd's death and whether or not there was criminal conduct involved in that. That is not the same as the um, civil investigations that I was engaged in. Those are the investigations that determine that the police department as a whole has been depriving people of their civil rights, of their rights under federal law in the jurisdiction where that police department operates. Those are the types of um, investigations that can result in reforms to police department that can help save people's lives. Um, Donald Trump has made it clear that that's not a priority of his administration. Um, the Department of Justice in the Trump administration has only announced one investigation. Um, instead, what we've seen is that this president has um, encouraged officers to use force, encouraged officers to use unconstitutional force. Um, and I think that we're seeing the results of this as we um, look around the country right now and the anger people are feeling as a result of the deaths that have um, happened at the hands of police officers. And Emily, the officer Chauvin, the man who pressed his knee into Floyd's neck, had 18 prior complaints filed against him. Is this a so-called bad apple in your experience or a sign of a troubled police department? You know, I try not to think of this in terms of bad apples. It is the responsibility of the police department to ensure that police officers within that police department are policing within the bounds of the law. If this officer was not following the policies in the law, the department should have rid that department of that officer and responded um, immediately to misconduct that it had seen. Um, police departments should have accountability systems in place such that officers understand that if they violate the law, if they violate policies, they will no longer be allowed to do their jobs. 
Um, and that's the type of culture that's required in order to protect us um, in situations like this. Well, thank you very much, Emily Gunston at the Washington Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights and Urban Affairs. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Welcome back to You News. Now to the coronavirus pandemic. More than 6.2 million cases have been reported worldwide. In the U.S., more than 1.8 million cases have been confirmed, including over 105,000 deaths. While cases declines slowly in some parts of the country, more than a dozen states are reporting a rise. Authorities are concerned that large gatherings and demonstrations across the country will help spread the virus. Andrea Linares explains. Georgia reopened its bars and restaurants on Monday. It's one of 23 states where new coronavirus case counts are falling. Nationally, a painfully slow decline in those numbers. But officials are concerned the coronavirus could bounce back because of the ongoing protests over the death of George Floyd. We are really worried that this might be a trigger for more uh, COVID infections. In these 15 states and Puerto Rico, places like South Carolina and California, where protests have been large, the number of newly reported cases is already increasing. As California reopens, the cases have climbed 11 percent in just five days. Another new day high set Sunday, 3,705 new cases reported. For now, some people seem to be taking social distancing less seriously at beaches, bars and elsewhere. I am deeply concerned about a super spreader type of incident that we've seen after this. We're going to see a spike in COVID-19. It's inevitable. The coronavirus is already hitting black and brown communities hardest, and that's who's mostly out in the streets. The close contact, yelling and exhaling and coughing due to tear gas, all circumstances that could exacerbate the spread of the virus. How many young people went home and kissed their mother hello? or shook hands with their father, or hugged their father, or their grandfather, or their grandmother, or their brother, or their sister, and spread a virus. Atlanta's mayor is encouraging testing. If you were out protesting last night, you probably need to go get a COVID test this week. But even getting tested may become an issue. In Los Angeles, some virus testing sites are closed today. Dodger Stadium has now become an LAPD command center to oversee the protest. A new study shows how well masks and social distancing measures work. A study in the journal Lancet found that even standing just three feet from other people helped lower the risk of catching or spreading the coronavirus. But more distance was better. Researchers found a social distance of about 10 feet can cut the risk in half. The study also found that wearing face coverings are helpful. The risk of transmission while wearing one was 3% versus 17% when you're not wearing one. Doctors believe we're likely to see more cases in two weeks connected to the protest, since normally that's the amount of time it takes for someone to develop symptoms. Meantime, New York City is still the location in the U.S. with the most cases and deaths from the pandemic. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares. You news. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And while the pandemic is showing signs of receding in New York, the city has now become the epicenter of the so-called multi-systemic inflammatory symptom, syndrome, which mainly affects children and young people. 
Magarosa Vilche explains why Latino families in that city are so worried. New York has been the U.S. epicenter of the coronavirus pandemic and now also of the multisystem inflammatory syndrome that has been targeting children and young adults like Evelyn Rodriguez. Technically all of them, but mostly the one that attacks like your heart because that's like really bad. Mostly everything is bad, but your heart is like the most important part and that could obviously kill you. So yeah, I'm really scared about that. As it happens with adults diagnosed with coronavirus, the majority of young patients affected with the syndrome are Hispanic and African Americans. This pediatrician says she sees the reasons daily. Because we can see the disparity in the social economic status of this population, as well as the lack of medical care. The poor people have more medical chronic conditions they are not taking care of. In New York, these cases among children rose by more than 200% in the last three months. Doctors say that this is concerning, but not alarming, and they ask parents to watch for symptoms like fever, irritated lips, and skin eruptions. Young people between the ages of 2 and 21 are more likely to suffer from this syndrome. In Hoboken, New Jersey, Blanca Rosa Vilches, U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. U News, your world, U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. Shopping malls, offices, real estate, and car shops in Sao Paulo began to reopen on Monday, less than a day after Brazilian health officials announced the country has surpassed half a million coronavirus cases. The reopening will happen in five phases, and each city's mayor will apply them as they see fit. Brazil continues to have the second highest number of confirmed cases worldwide and has registered 30,000 coronavirus deaths. On Monday, Panama entered its second phase towards reopening its economy. New sectors like construction and non-metallic mining, among others, have reopened. Churches and parks are also reopening at 25% capacity. Children are now allowed to be outside with an adult between 4 and 7 p.m. The government made clear that these permissions are not to be confused with allowing social or festive activities and added that citizens are the ones responsible for when phase three can begin. Meanwhile, in Mexico, that country easing quarantine restrictions, new measures are being put in place to avoid the spread of the virus. Aside from making the use of mass mandatory and social distancing, authorities in Mexico are restricting people from having beards, mustache, wearing ties and using jewelry, which they say are reservoirs for the virus. Mexico entered a new phase on Monday, reopening certain sectors of the economy under its new plan deemed the new normal. Mining, construction, and the fabrication of transport equipment like auto parts are now considered essential. 
Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then. Thank you.